And if you're going to stay with us, let's get Daniel chapter 10, please. Daniel chapter 10. And today, we will speed things back up a little bit. We slowed down considerably in, in Daniel 9. We were covering some fairly deep things. We wanted to make sure we covered it properly. But now we come to Daniel 10. We are going to encounter some deep things as the book uh, concludes, no doubt. But chapter 10 gives us an opportunity to deal with a few practical things. There are some interesting and, and I think fairly deep things in this chapter, but a few more practical notes today. So verse number one, and we're going to cover this chapter in two parts, Lord willing. Verses one to nine, Daniel is seeking through prayer. And then verses 10 to 21, he is strengthened through understanding. Seeking God through prayer strengthened through understanding. So there's a a very practical undertone to this. In verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. Now just mind the timing here. The third year of Cyrus, this means the Persians and the Medians, they've, they've taken over. This is now the third year. So Daniel and everything that we've been reading about In chapter 8, 9, these things have accumulated. He's already had a few visions. He's had the Lord uh, send the angel and explain some things. So these these are on his heart, and that's going to help us understand what he's praying about as the chapter goes on. It says here, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, that was the Babylonian name that was given to him. You might remember when we studied that, what, seven years ago back in chapter 1. This name, it might seem unusual. Why is he still referring to himself or using that name? That was a Babylonian thing. The Persians are in power now. Why hang on to that? This is probably how Daniel was known to people in that region and in that kingdom. Furthermore, on a practical note, guys, don't live in the past, but don't ever forget where you came from. Don't live in the past. It's in the past. If you keep bringing it up today, then it's part of your present. Your past is just that. It is past. Leave it there. But that doesn't mean you don't learn from it. That doesn't mean you can't appreciate the pit from whence you were digged. Right? The Bible tells us to to think about that as well. So I think there's a nice practical idea there. Belteshazzar, sure, that's not his given name by his birth mother or anything like that. But it is part of his story. Whose name was called Belteshazzar. The thing, and the thing was true... But the time appointed was long, right? The thing was true. What what thing is it? Well, the vision that he's about to see. He knows that it came from God. It's not something that he just ate too much pizza and had a weird dream. it's, It's true. It's verified. He knows this is consistent with the other things that God has shown him in the past. The thing was true, but the time appointed was long. So the vision that we're going to learn about in chapter 11 and 12, he knows that this is not a a once-off event. God is not showing him there's going to be a singular earthquake or a singular famine. It's not just one thing. The time is long. It's going to take a long time for everything in chapter 11 and 12 to come to pass. Um, As a matter of fact, it's going to start in chapter 11, 334 BC. And what you read in chapter 11 is is play-by-play Like you're watching a rugby game and the announcers are telling you play-by-play. That's what you have in chapter 11. It's a play-by-play for history from 334 B.C. down to 165 B.C. 
And there's two sides, the king of the north and the king of the south. And they're going back and forth. And you have play-by-play all the way through there. And then at the end of chapter 11, it's going to jump all the way to the end times, what we call the tribulation. So when he says the time appointed was long, it's extremely long, uh, some, a couple thousand years at least. And then he says at the end of verse 1, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. All right, so there's, I think there's some overlap to this, but he understood the thing. He understands that God is speaking to him. And he also, under, and that's the large, he understands it, it is a vision from God, but he also understands the independent details to it. He, he had understanding of the vision. In verse number two, watches, watch how it switches from third person to first person. He was referring to himself as Daniel and Belteshazzar. Now it switches to I and me. In verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Something is weighing heavily on his heart. We're not told in verse 2 what it is, but look at verse 14, and I think we can make an educated guess here. As an angel, or we're going to talk more about who this might be, as this person comes to speak to Daniel, verse 14, now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So I, I'm going to say this. In chapter 9, God had just shown him through the angel Gabriel that there's 490 years worth of stuff left to happen. And Daniel has been mulling this over in his mind for a while. And now it's weighing heavy on his heart. He knows what God has said is going to come to pass. His people, the Jews, they have to go through a lot of stuff, and it's heavy on him. Imagine if I were to tell you, for the rest of your days, and your children's days, and your children's children, and the next 10 generations of your family are going to struggle and suffer and pain, that would weigh heavy on you, wouldn't it? And I believe that's why Daniel is mourning and he's seeking God's face, what, if it's for better understanding, comfort, whatever it is. In verse number three, this is part of his morning. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So 21 days goes by. Some would say that in verse 3 he's fasting, and I can see why he doesn't eat bread or drink anything fancy or special. But it doesn't come right out and say he was fasting. Right? It says, I ate no pleasant bread. He didn't eat flesh. So he could have been existing just on the very basic necessities, just a handful of, of vegetables, that type of thing. It, he's, it's a limited diet meant just to sustain him while he's seeking God, especially in prayer. But if you want to take it as far as saying he's fasting, I have no problems with that. I think that would also fit what's going on. Neither did I anoint myself at all. Now, you remember what Jesus taught us about fasting? When you fast, go ahead and anoint, anoint your head. But, but remember, Jesus is teaching us when you fast, you're not doing it to impress people. Now, Daniel, he's broken about this, but he's an older man at this point. And he, he's so brokenhearted, he can't bring himself to put on all the fancy stuff and the cologne and eat the good food. He, he's so overwhelmed by this burden, he just can't work up the strength to do it. Have you ever been that heartbroken? That you, you just don't want to fix yourself up. You don't feel like being presentable. Daniel, there's no indication that he's doing this so that other people think he's spiritual. He is just really heavy-hearted. That's it. In verse number four, 
And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hiddekel. Hiddekel, we, we know it by a different name today. That's the Tigris River, right? If you look on a map in Mesopotamia, where the word Mesopotamia means between the rivers. That's what that word means, Mesopotamia. So if you look at those, those two rivers, there's Tigris and Euphrates, and it makes kind of a bunny ears, right? So I always think of Bugs Bunny when I look at it. And if you look at the one on the east of the, of the bunny ears, the eastern leg of that, that's Hiddekel, or we call it Tigris today. All right, verse number five. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. Uphaz is what we read in history books was the best of all the golds of that time and that's why he refers to it like that now I want you to hold your place here turn over to Revelation chapter 1 and let's compare scripture with scripture I'm not sure I well I can tell you right away I cannot definitively say who this is but I think you'll see here I don't think it's a horrible guess to say that this is a, what we call a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And, and there are times in the Old Testament that Jesus does show up to people and he appears as the angel of the Lord. Or we can even just say God appears to people in the, in the form of that angel. And Jesus in the New Testament, there's a couple of times... Where even Paul, you might remember in Acts chapter 27, remember where he's having that shipwreck and that, that hurricane is hitting there, Eurachlodon? And he says, the angel of God met with me last night. And he, he refers to that angel. He says, whose I am and whom I serve. Now, folks, you help me out here. Did Paul worship angels? Did he serve angels? No. Did he belong to angels? No. But he says, this angel that appeared to me, whose I am and whom I serve, that, that angel then is not just your average everyday angel. That would have to be an angelic appearance of the Lord. So God, did he ever manifest himself in flesh? Sure, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Praise God for that. But then there's also other times that he can manifest himself in different forms. And one of those forms is as an angel. So just be aware of that. Now, we read here in Daniel 10... And verse 5, that this certain man, and, and we've already talked long about how uh, angels appear as men. They have that, that bodily form and shape. A certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold. Right? So this girdle, it can be like a belt all right, coming this way. But it can also, sometimes it's part of a sash. So the sash will come over here and it's connected to the girdle. So just have that in your mind. Revelation 1, let's... If you can, hold your Bible like this, you see here, where you flip the pages back and forth, because we're going to keep going one to the other. Revelation 1, get verse 13. This is the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, and the Alpha and Omega appears to him. In verse 13, we have this description. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now, we know in Revelation 1, this is Jesus. There's no doubt. By the end of the passage, he was alive and then died, and now he's alive forevermore. This is definitely Jesus. But he has that same appearance. 
He has this, uh, this fine linen and there's a golden girdle. All right, flip back to Daniel 10. Let's continue to compare here. Hold Revelation. Verse 6, more description. His body also was like the barrel. Now the barrel, it, it can actually appear in several different colors. It kind of depends on its environment. But most people in this context think that it was a bluish green type of color. Almost like the color of clear uh, seawater if you want to have that picture in your mind. All right, so he had that color going there. And then it says in verse number six, his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass and all the voice of his his words, sorry, like the voice of a multitude. All right, now flip over to Revelation. Let's see if we can find those same characteristics. Revelation 1, let's read in verse 14. His head and his hair, hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. That's in the list, isn't it? All right, verse 15. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. That, that's, that's in verse 6. All right, let's keep going. And it says at the middle of verse 15, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Right, so described a little differently, Revelation, many waters, but in Daniel, like the voice of a, a, a multitude, a great multitude. So just an overwhelming, a thundering type of voice. All right, so that, that is also going to line up. Uh, Revelation 1, verse 16. It says, and it, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, we read back in Daniel 10 and verse 6, his face had had the appearance of lightning. See, do you guys see the similarity? I don't blame, because of what we've read there, I don't blame anybody for looking at Daniel 10 and saying, I think this is Jesus that is showing up in this Old Testament angelic-like appearance. I, I, I can't say that's wrong, but there's nothing that definitively says, yep, that has to be Jesus. But we can't take that out of the, out of the consideration. I, I think it's possible. It could be. It could be some other mighty angel. In Revelation 10, as a matter of fact, just you have Revelation. Look at chapter 10 and verse 1. And even here, some people think this is Jesus. I, and I, again, I can't argue with that too much. Revelation 10, 1, it says, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, And a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. So do you see how, even there, that it it says it's a mighty angel. So at least it's that. But you could maybe carry that over to Jesus as well. Revelation, uh, or I'm sorry, Daniel, come back to Daniel 10, and verse number 7. So whoever this being is, this, and I'm not quite sure, I'd like to put some term on it so I don't have to keep waffling as I explain it going further, but I'm just going to say this being, if that's okay. In verse 7, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. All right, God selectively allows Daniel to see the fullness of this appearance. I think it's a fairly good guess to say Dan, or God chose Daniel to see this because Daniel was looking for it. And you know why a lot of people get something out of the church service 
when others may not is because some people come looking for something. Some people, when they come in, they have some heaviness in their heart and they need God to minister to them and they've been begging God, please speak to me, please show me something. And, and that's why one guy will get it and the person right next to him may not hear or feel or experience something similar. So God has chosen Daniel to see this vision. The men saw not the vision in verse 7, but they felt something. I, guys, uh, you don't often hear us talk about feelings, but, but we all have them. We don't need to be scared of, of feelings and having feelings. We can, we can talk about feelings. What worries me is when that's all you have. Right? If, that's all, if your Christian life is based purely on feelings, that's a very shallow Christian life. That's a, that's a shallow life in, in general. Okay? Nevertheless, these men felt something going on. Folks, have you been in church long enough? Have you been saved long enough? Have you had some of those moments where you couldn't see it, you maybe couldn't even hear anything audibly, but you just felt like God showed up. Now, again, I don't know to what extent, if we want to say this is the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, however you want to approach that, God has sent somebody to represent him. God's representative has shown up, and Daniel gets the full force of this, while the other men, they may not see the whole thing, but boy, they know something special is happening there. And it causes them to tremble. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 2, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. It, whenever God starts to draw nigh and manifest himself to you in a real way, I don't know how deep, I don't know how much he's going to show you, but when he gets close... If it's God, there's going to be some fear and trembling because it's God. It's God. We didn't go through all the verses in Revelation 1. Do you remember how John reacted when he saw the Son of Man in the midst of the candlesticks and the face shining as the sun and the voices as a many water? John falls down as dead. I mean, it, it, it affects you. You can feel something happening you might remember this story in the old testament in second chronicles chapter 5 when solomon is dedicating the temple and by the grace of god we'll dedicate the building soon as well so, something of of like nature would to god we had a similar experience but the priests go into the temple and they begin to do their offerings and sacrifices and the choir the levitical choir comes in to sing and when they begin to sing and to praise the Lord, lifting up their voices. And they say, the Lord is good. Praise the Lord for his goodness, for his mercy. It endures forever. And the Bible says a cloud began to fill the room so that the priest could not stand in that place. They had to go outside. It got too thick, too real. And they just had to back off and say, okay, that's, that's more than we've ever seen or felt. Now, that's not going to happen every time. That's not going to happen every Sunday. And, and I think a mistake is made because those, those moments, the rare moments, they're special. And, and they're going to continue to motivate you and you'll cling to them. And I do. I have things that happened to me 20, 25 years ago when I was a young Christian. To this day, I still praise God for those moments. Because when he shows up, it, it does. It, it moves you. It changes you. 
But, but what happens is people try to manufacture that experience week in and week out in their church or in their life. Guys, you got to let God show up. You, 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 can't, you can't bring the smoke machines. God brings the smoke. Amen? Is that right? But see, we, we don't manufacture it, but boy, we want it. But I can't force it, but oh, God, I want it. I want it. Verse number eight. It says, therefore... I was left alone. That's going to happen. You're going to find that the closer you get to God, the more alone you're going to feel. At times. Think of it like this. There's a mountain. At the top is the Lord Jesus Christ. The closer you get to the mountain, the the fewer and fewer people have climbed that mountain to get closer to Him. And, And guys, that's a sad reality, but it's a reality. And as you get closer to the Lord, there's going to be other people that don't like how close you're getting to the Lord because the things you used to be okay with, you're no longer okay with because now you're walking in that light and now that you have been exposed to that shining light, you can't continue to do the things you used to do in darkness. And there are going to be some people that don't like that new light in your life. He was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me. He says, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. So his knees start to go weak. He's being physically affected by this spiritual experience. Guys, this is not being slain in the spirit. Okay, he's not not about to lose control of his bodily functions, and the Holy Spirit just starts operating through him. There's nothing like that in this passage. But when it says in verse 8, his comeliness was turned into corruption. Let, let's, let's appreciate that statement. Daniel, what, you, what he used to think was really great about himself, now he realizes as this representation of God is drawing near, this representative is drawing near, he realizes, I'm not as great as I thought. The things that I used to think that were so good about me, but you know what? He's good. And... Again, this is something that drawing nigh to God will, will do for you. You're drawing nigh to the light. God is light. I look really good in a dark room. So, so do you. We all look better in dark rooms. Right? You wait until the power comes on. We turn all the lights on in here. We're going to see each other and go, well, there you are. And, and when the light gets turned on, what you used to think was comeliness, beauty, and, 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 and attractive things, things that made you special and unique. All of a sudden, you look at it differently. You go, wow, you know what? Those things aren't as great as I thought. And all of a sudden, that pride begins to melt away. My comeliness, he says, was turned in me into corruption. So here's Daniel. He's an older man, but he's still strong enough. He can see good. He can hear good. And now, he's being affected by this, and he started... He he can feel himself. He's not falling or anything, but he can feel himself starting to get weak. And he's starting to be affected. I retain no strength. You know what you'll realize after a while? Your strength is not sufficient to hold you up. The reason you're still going like you are is because God's been holding you up. Verse number nine, yet heard I the voice of his words. Now notice this is the next step to this. Yet heard I the voice of his words. So all he's done so far is seen him. Has Daniel been drawing nigh to God? Yes, for three weeks. 
He, he didn't eat anything special. He didn't dress it, wear anything special. He's just been seeking the face of God. That's it for three weeks. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So now all he's done is had this appearance of God's messenger, and nothing's been said. When verse 9, as soon as God speaks, watch what happens. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. So I'm not sure exactly at which stage this would have happened, but, but here's how it maps out. I retain no strength, perhaps in verse 8. Am I, do I have the verse right? Perhaps in verse 8, he, he's, he's beginning to come weak and he's getting down to his knees like this. And then when this messenger begins to speak, he, he, he says, oh, I can't take this anymore. And he's all the way down, face on the ground, that type of thing. So weak. And guys, again, if you've been through some very deep grief, it makes you tired. It, it wears you out to go through that. So whenever something hectic is going on, you know, they, they call it fight or flight. Whenever something dramatic is happening, fight or flight. There's another step to that, actually. Faint. <laughs> fight, flight, or I can't do anything about this. <laughs> Roll up in the fetal position <laughs> and just hope for the best. <laughs> Some people faint, right? When they are extremely afraid, they faint. Or when they're extremely excited, they faint. And I think Daniel's probably having extremely both. <laughs> There's probably both sides going on there. And he has absolutely nothing left in him. And then he's just on the ground. Now, he can still hear what's going on, but he's just there. And next week, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. And we're going to see how the Lord touches him or this messenger at least touches him and then continues to explain something to him. And there's much, a lot more uh, practical information to that. But can I show you something? Hold Daniel 10. Come to Psalm chapter 29. Psalm chapter 29. Now remember, the voice that he's hearing is like the voice of a multitude. Remember that in Daniel 10? We read that. So when this messenger begins to speak, it's much more powerful than Daniel might have expected. Yes? Daniel has spoken to angels before, right? Yes. But maybe not this one. Whoever he's speaking to here has a voice like the voice of a multitude. God's voice is overwhelming. And, and, and there are a number of ways that God can speak to you. I mean, if he verbally spoke from heaven, that'd be one thing. That, that would be overwhelming. But you know, there are times when, when this version of the voice of the Lord speaks directly to you. And it can grab a hold of your heart to the point where it, it shrivels you. It humbles you. It tells you, it says that thing you think was so great, not as great as you thought. You go, wow, okay, you think you've been paying the bills and holding yourself together and you're so smart you kept your life going? No, no, that was my strength, that was my wisdom, that was my grace. And this voice of the Lord says that to you in a powerful way and it grabs hold of you. Do you ever wonder why at the end of a service we invite people to come forward and, and, and we ask, here's an altar, you can kneel and pray. And it's because the voice of the Lord has spoken to you. And you're reacting to that. It's not the exact same thing, perhaps, as what Daniel was experiencing, but, but in that realm. 
So Psalm 29, let's begin looking in verse number 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. The voice, uh, it says, yea, the, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forests. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. See, after you've heard the voice of the Lord and it has moved you and shook you and broken you, it can break a, the cedars of Lebanon, known to be the strongest trees in that realm, in that region. If God wants to, one word, just take it apart. If God's word can do that, he can break your heart. He can shake your life. And when he does, then you go down to the temple and start saying, boy, God spoke to me. And then we start speaking of his glory. Come back to Daniel chapter 10. So, guys, I hope to today that's what you've come to do. I, I hope you didn't come to hear the voice of Mike Flick because there's not much to that. My voice is no better than yours. We can just exchange words. But if you've come, even, listen, sometimes God speaks in a still small voice. And it may not thunder and rumble, but it's still powerful. And that still small voice can sometimes grab a hold of you and you know definitively God said something to me. There's something I need to do. There's something he expects from me and it can shake your life up and break your life down where it needs to be broken. We're going to end with a couple of practical thoughts from this chapter, from this passage that we've looked at. Dance break. Okay. <laughs> In this passage, what we've seen is Daniel was seeking God through prayer and God showed up. He drew nigh to God, and God drew nigh to him. But let's recognize a couple of things about the passage, just overview kind of stuff. Daniel took what God had previously revealed, and it was weighing heavy on his heart because he knew that what God had showed him, these things are true, and it's going to happen. Daniel understood the vision. Right? So what God had already showed Daniel, he knew it was true. He begins to pray. Watch this. Do, how many of you believe this verse where Jesus said, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish? You believe that? Jesus said this, he that believeth not shall be damned. Do you believe that? How about this verse where Jesus says to them on the left hand, depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. How many of you believe that that will happen one day? Right? It, Jesus gave a parable about at the end of the, uh, end of our, uh, of the world, the bundles, people are going to be bundled up and thrown into a furnace of fire. You believe at the end, when Jesus comes back, that there are going to be people bundled up and thrown into a fire? You believe that? Folks, if you believe that, that should weigh on your heart. The Apostle Paul said, I have continual sorrow, great heaviness and continual sorrow 
And that's why he said, that was in Romans 9, in Romans 10, he said, my, prayer, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Because Paul believed what God had said about people who die in their sins. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you die without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins. And that is true for any stranger that you pass today on the streets, and it's true of any family member of yours. And it's true if you're here in the building this morning, if you've never been born again, there's only one way that type of life ends up. With you hearing the horrible words, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, if you believe that, that drives you towards God in prayer to say, God, please, what can we do about that? Please, God, show me. Send somebody to reach my friends, my family. These strangers help us. We need the gospel. Why? Because we believe what God has revealed about what's going to happen in the future. And it draws us closer to God. Number two, I want to point this out. When, when God did draw nigh, I think there's a really good verse that explains what Daniel experienced. John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist said it like this. He must increase. Now he's talking about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. Not I should, I must are you with me there? Notice the order of that. You don't decrease first. He didn't say, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. He must increase. And you know what happens when Jesus becomes more real in your life? When you begin to expose yourself to what he said and hear his voice, you know what happens? That your comeliness turns into corruption and you go, you know what? Okay, now that I see him in all of his glory, now that I hear him speaking to me, the more I learn about him, the less I want to look at me, the more I want to look at him. The less I want people to see me, the more I want people to see him. And then he is increasing. And we decrease. So if you're going to draw nigh to God, be prepared to decrease. But don't, you don't have to force it. All you need to do is get verse 5 and 6, and then verse 7 and 8 and 9 will happen. But first, you need to have the Lord Jesus Christ becoming, can I say, preeminent, increasing in your life. And then lastly, I'm going to say this about the passage. These experiences, as I've mentioned, they're not normal. These things are rare. This was not like the average Tuesday for Daniel, okay? He didn't have angels just popping by every week going, hey, time for coffee again. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> These things are special and rare, all right? But seeking God should be an everyday thing. God showing up in this powerful way may not be an everyday thing. But when they happen, to whatever extent God shows up, this, these special moments, although here and there, not all through your life, they are going to get you deeper, rooted and grounded in your walk with him, looking for these moments, asking for these moments. There's nothing wrong with that. So, sometimes we get this idea, well, Lord, I don't want to trouble you. I'm not that special. 
You know, I'm not the pastor. I don't need to see anything special. And we get satisfied with just the crumbs falling from the master's table. I'm okay with the crumbs. I don't deserve anything but the crumbs. I don't even deserve the crumbs. Are, are we good with saying that? I don't deserve the crumbs. But Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and him with me. So, so here's my point in this. Yes, these moments are special and rare. But, but when I come, I say, Lord, please, just even a crumb. I, I'd love to have a crumb. What, what if we were to say, Jesus, your promise was that we could sup together. So, so Lord, I don't deserve to be here at the table with you. But this is where you said I could be. So I'm, I'm looking for it. Lord, I don't deserve even one word. But if you, if you give me a word, but I'd love to have a full-on meal with you. I know that these moments, right, to whatever degree, they're not going to be everyday things. But I'm looking for something special from the Lord because I know these things are capable. Don't be satisfied just with the crumbs. God has said, draw nigh, I will draw nigh to you. Let's take him on that. Let's take that promise as being true. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed just for a moment. We'll pray. And then you guys can carefully head outside and enjoy some sunshine and fellowship. Father, We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's hard for us to understand why a God like you would want to come around and spend time with people like us. But Lord, that is your desire. That is what, that is why you sent your son so that we could have that closeness in our relationship. Lord, we know not every day is going to be like Daniel just had it here. But Father, we, we want something special today. We want to hear your voice today. Father, meet with us, speak to us, even in the service to come. And Lord, let these words ring through our heart, through our soul, throughout the week. Father, bless our fellowship now. In Jesus' name, amen.